calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Every five minutes, someone dies while waiting for a compatible donor heart, liver, or kidney. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists strive to engineer an animal with human-compatible organs, thereby saving millions of lives. But these ancestors are not the docile herd animals they envision. Instead, the project spawns something big, something evil, something hungry. Ancestor by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler is available for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to the Drabblecast, episode 203. The Drabblecast is a weekly audio fiction magazine that brings strange stories by strange authors to strange listeners, such as yourself. I'm your host, Norm Sherman. Week three of Women and Aliens Appreciation Month, and as promised, the concluding half of Boojum by Elizabeth Bear and Sarah Manette. Let's start with a little recap of the story. The Lavinia Watley was a Bujum, a deep space swimmer, but her kind had evolved in the high tempestuous envelopes of gas giants, and their offspring still spent their infancies there, in cloud nurseries over eternal storms. And so she was streamlined, something like a vast spiny lionfish to the Earth-adapted eye. Black Alice had taken the oath back in two after the Venusian riots. She hadn't hid her reasons, and the captain had looked at her with cold, dark, amused eyes and said, So long as you carry your weight, Cherie, I don't care. Betray me, though, and you'll be going back to Venus the cold way. Battle stations, Captain Song said, and the crew leapt to obey. Once the Josephine Baker was subdued, it was the junior engineers and others who would board her and take inventory. Sometimes there were crew members left in hiding on captured ships. Sometimes unwary pirates got shot. The door peeled back, and Black Alice found herself staring at rank upon rank of silver cylinders, each less than a meter tall and perhaps half a meter wide, smooth and featureless, except for what looked like an assortment of sockets and plugs on the surface of each. Captain will want to say this. They're brains, she said. Human brains. Stolen. Black market. The fungi. Me go. Dog collar hissed, and the captain grinned at him, showing extraordinarily white, strong teeth. 
They collect them. There's a black market. Nobody knows what they use them for. It's illegal, of course, but they're alive in there. They go mad, supposedly. The Migo will pay for this cargo, won't they? They mine rare minerals all over the system. They're said to be very wealthy. Yes, Captain. Dogcaller said when it became obvious that Black Alice couldn't. Good, the captain said. Under Black Alice's feet, the decking shuddered, a grinding sound as Vinnie began to dine. Her rows of teeth would make short work of the Josephine Baker's steel hide. Then they might as well pay us as someone else, wouldn't you say? Black Alice knew she should stop thinking about the canisters. Captain's word was law, but she couldn't help it, like scratching at a scab. They were down there, in the third subhold, the one even sniffers couldn't find, cold and sweating and with that stench that was like a living thing. And now, the conclusion of Boojum, by Elizabeth Bear and Sarah Manette. In the first subhold, she had to stop. Her shoulder against the smooth, velvet slickness of Vinny's skin, her mouth hanging open while her lungs worked. And she knew Vinny wasn't going to hear her because she wasn't the captain or a chief engineer or anyone important. But she had to try anyway, croaking, Vinny, water, please. And no one could have been more surprised than Black Alice Bradley when Vinny extruded a basin and a thin, cool trickle of water began to flow into it. Well, now she knew. And there was still nothing she could do about it. She wasn't the captain, and if she said anything more than she already had, people were going to start looking at her funny. Mutiny kind of funny. And what Black Alice did not need was any more of Captain Song's attention, and especially not for rumors like that. She kept her head down and did her job and didn't discuss her nightmares with anyone. And she had nightmares, all right. Hot and cold running enough, she fancied that she could have filled up the Captain's huge tub with them. She could live with that. But over the next double dozen of shifts, she became aware of something else wrong, and this was worse because it was something wrong with the Lavinia Watley. The first sign was the chief engineers frowning and going into huddles at odd moments. And then Black Alice began to feel it herself, the way Vinny was... She didn't have a word for it because she had never felt anything like it before. She would have said balky, but that couldn't be right. It couldn't. But she was more and more sure that Vinny was less responsive somehow, that when she obeyed the captain's orders, it was with a delay. If she were human, Vinny would have been dragging her feet. You couldn't keelhaul a ship for not obeying fast enough. And then, because she was paying attention so hard she was making her own head hurt, Black Alice noticed something else. Captain Song had them cruising the gas giant's orbits, not going in as far as the asteroid belt, not going out as far as Uranus. 
Nobody Black Alice talked to knew why exactly, but she and Dog Collar figured it was because the captain wanted to go to the Mego without actually getting near the nasty cold rock of their planet. And what Black Alice noticed was that Vinny was less balky, less unhappy when she was headed out, and more and more resistant the closer they got to the asteroid belt. Vinny, she remembered, had been born over Uranus. Do you want to go home, Vinny? Black Alice asked her one late night shift when there was nobody around to care that she was talking to the ship. Is that what's wrong? She put her hand flat on the wall, and although she was probably imagining it, she thought she felt a shiver ripple across Vinny's vast side. Black Alice knew how little she knew, and didn't even contemplate sharing her theory with the chief engineers. They probably knew exactly what was wrong, and exactly what to do to keep the Lavinia Watley from going core meltdown like the Marie Curie had. That was a whispered story. Not the sort of thing anybody talked about except in their hammocks after lights out. The Marie Curie had eaten her own crew. So when Wasabi said, four shifts later, Black Alice, I've got a job for you. Black Alice said, yes, sir, and hoped it would be something that would help the Lavinia Watley be happy again. It was a suit job, he said, replace and repair. Black Alice was going because she was reliable and smart and stayed quiet, and it was time she took on more responsibilities. The way he said it made her first fret because that meant the captain might be reminded of her existence, and then fret because she realized the captain already had been. But she took the equipment he issued, and she listened to the instructions and read schematics and committed them both to memory and her implants. It was a ticklish job, a neural override repair. She had done some fiber optic bundle splicing, but this was going to be a doozy. And she was going to have to do it in stiff, pressurized gloves. Her heart hammered as she sealed her helmet, and not because she was worried about the EVA. This was a chance, an opportunity, a step closer to Chief Engineer. Maybe she had impressed the captain with her discretion after all. She cycled the airlock, snapped her safety harness, and stepped out onto the Lavinia Watley's hide. That deep blue-green like azurite, like the teeming seas of Venus under their swampy eternal clouds was invisible. They were too far from Sol. It was a yellow stylus dot, and you had to know where to look for it. Vinny's hide was just black under Black Alice's suit floods. As the airlock cycled shut, though, the Bujum's own bioluminescence shimmered up her veins and along the ridges of her sides, crimson and electric green and acid blue. Vinny must have noticed Black Alice picking her way carefully up her spine with barbed boots. They wouldn't hurt Vinny. Nothing short of a space rock could manage that, but they certainly stuck in there good. The thing Black Alice was supposed to repair was at the principal nexus of Vinny's central nervous system. The ship didn't have anything like what a human or a ghillie would consider a brain. There were nodules spread all over her vast body, too slow otherwise. And Black Alice had heard Bujums weren't supposed to be all that smart. Trainable, sure, maybe like an earth monkey which was what made it creepy as hell that as she picked her way up Vinny's flank, though up was a courtesy under these circumstances, talking to her all the way she would have sworn Vinny was talking back. Not just tracking her with the lights as she would always do, but bending some sort of her barbells and veins around as if craning her neck to get a look at Black Alice. 
Black Alice carefully circumnavigated an eye. She didn't think her boots would hurt it, but it seemed discourteous to stomp across somebody's field of vision, and wondered, only half-eyedly, if she had been sent out on this task not because she was being considered for promotion, but because she was expendable. She was just rolling her eyes and dismissing that as borrowed trouble when she came over a bump on Vinny's back, spotted her goal, and all the ship's lights went out. She tongued on the comm. Wasabi. I got you, Blackie. You just keep doing what you're doing. Yes, sir. But it seemed like her feet stayed stuck in Vinny's hide a little longer than was good. At least 15 seconds before she managed a couple of deep breaths, too deep for her limited oxygen supply, so she went briefly dizzy and continued up Vinny's side. Black Alice had no idea what inflammation looked like in a bujum, but she would guess this was it. All around the interface she was meant to repair, Vinny's flesh looked scraped and puffy. Black Alice walked tenderly, wincing, muttering apologies under her breath, and with every step the tendrils coiled a little closer. Black Alice crouched beside the box and began examining connections. The console was about three meters by four, half a meter tall, and fixed firmly into Vinny's hide. It looked like the thing was still functional, but something, a bit of space debris maybe, had dented it pretty good. Cautiously, Black Alice dropped a hand on it. She found the access panel and flipped it open. More red lights than green. A tongue click and she began withdrawing her tethered tools from their holding pouches and arranging them so they would float conveniently around. She didn't hear a thing, of course, but the hide under her boots vibrated suddenly sharply. She jerked her head around, just in time to see one of Vinny's feelers slap her own side five or ten meters away. And then the whole bujum shuddered, contracting, curved into a hard crescent of pain the same way she had when the Henry Ford had taken that chunk out of her hide. And the lights in the access panel lit up all at once, red, red, yellow, red. Black Alice tongued off the send function on her headset microphone so Wasabi wouldn't hear her. She touched the bruised hall, and she touched the dented edge of the console. Vinny, she said, does this hurt? Not that Vinny could answer her, but it was obvious. She was in pain, and maybe that dent didn't have anything to do with space debris. Maybe, Black Alice straightened and looked around and couldn't convince herself that it was an accident that this box was planted right where Vinny couldn't quite reach it. So what does it do, she muttered. Why am I out here repairing something that fucking hurts? She crouched down again and took another long look at the interface. As an engineer, Black Alice was mostly self-taught. Her implants were secondhand, black market, scavenged, the wet work done by a ghillie on Providence Station. She'd learned the technical vocabulary from Gogglehead Kim before he bought it in a stupid little fight with a ship named the V.I. Ulanov, but what she relied on were her instincts, the things she knew without being able to say. So she looked at that box wired into Vinny's spine and all its red and yellow lights, and then she tongued the comm back on and said, Wasabi, this thing don't look so good. What do you mean, don't look so good? Wasabi sounded distracted, and that was just fine. Black Alice made a noise, the auditory equivalent of a shrug. Hmm, I think the node's inflamed. Can we pull it and lock it in somewhere else? No, said Wasabi. It's looking pretty ugly out here. 
Look, Blackie, unless you want us all to go sailing out into the big empty, we are not pulling that governor. Just fix the fucking thing, would you? Yes, sir, said Black Alice, thinking hard. The first thing was that Wasabi knew what was going on, knew what the box did, and knew that the Lavinia Watley didn't like it. That wasn't comforting. The second thing was that whatever was going on, it involved the big empty, the cold vastness between the stars. So it wasn't that Vinny wanted to go home. She wanted to go out. It made sense, from what Black Alice knew about Budjams. Their infants lived in the tumult of the gas giant's atmosphere, but as they aged, they pushed higher and higher until they reached the edge of the envelope. And then, following instinct, or maybe the calls of their fellows, nobody knew for sure, they learned to skip, throwing themselves out into the vacuum like earthbirds leaving the nest. And what if, for a Bujum, the solar system was just another nest? Black Alice knew the Lavinia Watley was old for a Bujum. Captain Song was not her first captain, although you never mentioned Captain Smith if you knew what was good for you. So if there was another stage to her life cycle, she might be ready for it. And her crew wasn't letting her go. Jesus and the cold, fishy gods, Black Alice thought. Is this why the Marie Curie ate her crew? Because they wouldn't let her go? She fumbled for her tools, tugging the cords to float them closer and wound up wallowing herself in the bicep with a splicer. And as she was wrestling with it, her headset spoke again. Blackie, can you hurry it up out there? Captain says we're going to have company. Company? She never got to say it. Because when she looked up, she saw the shapes faintly limbed in starlight, and a chill as cold as a suit leak crept up her neck. There were dozens of them, hundreds. They made her skin crawl and her nerves shudder, the way the gillies and bujums never had. They were man-sized, roughly, but they looked like the pseudo-roaches of Venus, the ones Black Alice still had nightmares about, with too many legs and horrible stiff wings. They had ovate, corrugated heads, but no faces, and where their mouths ought to be, sprouting, writhing tentacles. And some of them carried silver, shining cylinders like the canisters in Vinny's subhold. Black Alice wasn't certain if they saw her crouched on the Bujum's hide with only a thin laminate between her and the breath sucker, but she was certain of something else. If they did, they did not care. They disappeared below the curve of the ship toward the airlock Black Alice had exited before clawing her way along the ship's side. They could be a trade delegation come to bargain for the salvaged cargo. Black Alice didn't think even the Mego came in the battalions to talk trade. She meant to wait until the last of them had passed, but they just kept coming. Wasabi wasn't answering her hails. She was on her own and unarmed. She fumbled with her tools, stowing things in any handy pocket, whether it was where the tool went or not. She couldn't see much. Everything was misty. It took her several seconds to realize that her visor was fogged because she was crying. Patch cables. Where were the fucking patch cables? She found a two-meter length of fiber optic with the right plugs on the end. One end went into the monitor panel. The other snapped into her suit comm. Vinny, she whispered when she thought she had a connection. Vinny, can you hear me? The bioluminescence under Black Alice's boots pulsed once. Gods and little fishes, she thought. And then she drew out her laser-cutting torch and started slicing open the case on the console that Wasabi had called the governor. 
Wasabi was probably dead by now, or dying. Wasabi, and Dog Collar, and, well, not dead. If they were lucky, they were dead. Because the opposite of lucky was those canisters the Migo were carrying. She hoped Dog Collar was lucky. You want to go out, right? She whispered to the Lavinia Watley. Out into the big empty? She'd never been sure how much Vinny understood of what people said, but the light pulsed again. And this thing won't let you. It wasn't a question. She had it open now, and she could see that was what it did. Ugly damn thing. Vinny shivered underneath her, and there was a sudden pulse of noise in her helmet speakers. Screaming. People screaming. I know, Black Alice said. They'll come get me in a minute, I guess. She swallowed hard against the sudden lurch of her stomach. I'm gonna get this thing off you, though. And when they go, you can go, okay? And I'm sorry. I didn't know they were keeping you from... She had to quit talking, or she was really going to puke. Grimly, she fumbled for the tools she needed to disentangle the abomination from Vinny's nervous system. Another pulse of sound. A voice, not a person. Flat and buzzing and horrible. We do not bargain with thieves. And the scream that time. She'd never heard Captain Song scream before. Black Alice flinched and started counting to slow her breathing. Puking in a suit was the number one badness, but hyperventilating in a suit was a really close second. Her heads-up display was low-res and slightly miscalibrated so that everything had a faint shadow double, but the thing that flashed up against her own view of her hands was unmistakable. A question mark. Vinny? Another pulse of screaming and the question mark again. Holy shit, Vinny! Never mind, never mind. They, um, they collect people's brains in canisters, like the canisters in the third subhold. The bioluminescence pulsed once. Black Alice kept working. Her heads up pinged again. Alice. A pause. Question mark. Um, yeah. I figure that's what they'll do with me, too. It looked like they had plenty of canisters to go around. Vinny pulsed, and there was a longer pause while Black Alice doggedly severed connections and loosened bolts. Want? said the Lavinia Watley. Want? Do I want? <laughs> Her laughter sounded bad. Um, no. No, I don't want to be a brain in a jar. But I'm not seeing a lot of choices here. Even if I went comatory, they could catch me. And it kind of sounds like they're mad enough to do it, too. She cleared out all the moorings around the edge of the governor. The case lifted off with a shove and went sailing into the dark. Black Alice winced. But then the processor under the cover drifted away from Vinny's hide, and there was just the monofilament tethers and the fat cluster of fiber optic and superconductors to go. Help. I'm doing my best here, Vinny, Black Alice said through her teeth. That got her a fast double pulse, and the Lavinia Watley said, Help. And then, Alice. You want to help me? Black Alice squeaked. A strong pulse. And then the heads up said, Help, Alice. 
That's really sweet of you, but I'm honestly not sure that there's anything you can do. I mean, it doesn't look like the Migo are mad at you, and I really want to keep it that way. Eat, Alice, said the Lavinia Watley. Black Alice came within a millimeter of taking her own fingers off with the cutting laser. Um, Vinny, um, that's a... Well, I guess it's better than being a brain in a jar. Or suffocating to death in her suit if she went comatory and the Migo didn't come after her. The double pulse again, but Black Alice didn't see what she could have missed. As communications went, Eat Alice was pretty goddamn unambiguous. Alice. The Lavinia Watley insisted. Black Alice leaned close, unsplicing the last of the governor's circuits from the Bujum's nervous system. Help, Alice. By eating me? Look, I know what happens to things you eat, and it's not. She bit her tongue, because she did know what happened to things the Lavinia Watley ate. Absorbed, filtered, recycled. Vinny, are you saying you can save me from the Migo? A pulse of agreement. By eating me? Black Alice pursued, needing to be sure she understood. Another pulse of agreement. Black Alice thought about the Lavinia Watley's teeth. How much me are we talking about here? Alice, said the Lavinia Watley, and then the last fiber optic cable parted, and Black Alice, her hand shaking, detached her patch cable and flung the whole mess of it as hard as she could straight up. Maybe it would find a planet with atmosphere and be some little alien kid shooting star. And now, she had to decide what to do. She figured she had two choices, really. One, walk back down the Lavinia Watley and find out if the Migo believed in surrender. Two, walk around the Lavinia Watley and into her toothy mouth. Black Alice didn't think the Migo believed in surrender. She tilted her head back for one last clear look at the shiny black infinity of space. Really, there wasn't any choice at all. Because even if she'd misunderstood what Vinny seemed to be trying to tell her, the worst she'd end up was dead, and that was light years better than what the Migo had on offer. Black Alice Bradley loved her ship. She turned to her left and started walking, and the Lavinia Watley's bioluminescence followed her courteously all the way, veins swaying out of her path. Black Alice skirted each of Vinny's eyes as she came to them, and each of them blinked at her. And then she reached Vinny's mouth and that magnificent panoply of teeth. Make it quick, Vinny, okay? said Black Alice, and walked into her Leviathan's maw. Picking her way delicately between razor-sharp teeth, Black Alice had plenty of time to consider the ridiculousness of worrying about the hole in her suit. Vinny's mouth was more like a crystal cave. Once you were inside it, there was no tongue, no palate, just polished, macerating stones, which did not close on Black Alice, to her surprise. If anything, she got the feeling Vinny was holding her breath, or what passed for it. The Bujum was lit inside as well, 
or was making herself lit for Black Alice's benefit. And as Black Alice clambered inward, the teeth got smaller and fewer, and the tunnel narrowed. Her throat, Alice thought. I'm inside her. And the walls closed down, and she was swallowed. Like a pill, enclosed in the tight sarcophagus of her spacesuit, she felt rippling pressure as peristalsis pushed her along, and then greater pressure suffocating, savage. One sharp pain, the pop of her ribs as her lungs crushed. Screaming inside a spacesuit was contradictory too, and with collapsed lungs, she couldn't even do it properly. Alice. She floated in warm darkness, a womb, a bath. She was comfortable. An itchy soreness between her shoulder blades felt like a very mild radiation burn. Alice. A voice she thought she should know. She tried to speak, her mouth gnashed, her teeth ground. Alice, talk here. She tried again, not with her mouth this time. Talk here? The buoyant warm flickered past her. She was drifting. No, swimming. She could feel currents on her skin. Her vision was confused. She blinked and blinked, and things were shattered. There was nothing to see anyway but stars. Alice, talk here. Where am I? Eat. Vinny. Vinny's voice, but not from the flatness of the heads-up display anymore. Vinny's voice, alive with emotion and nuance and the vastness of herself. You ate me, she said, and understood abruptly that the numbness she felt was not shock. It was the boundaries of her body, erased and redrawn. Agreement. Relief. I'm in you, Vinny? Not a no. More like, this thing is not the same, does not compare to this other thing. Black Alice felt the warmth of space so near, a generous star was slipping by her. She felt the swift currents of its gravity and the gravity of its satellites and bent them and tasted them and surfed them faster and faster away. I am you. Ecstatic comprehension, which Black Alice echoed with passionate relief. Not dead, not dead after all, just transformed, accepted, embraced by her ship, whom she embraced in return. Vinny, where are we going? Vinny answered, and in her, Black Alice read the whole great naked wonder of space, approaching faster and faster as Vinny accelerated, reaching for the first great skip that would hurl them into the interstellar darkness of the Big Empty. They were going out somewhere. Out, Black Alice agreed, 
and told herself not to grieve, not to go mad. This sure beat the swampy hell out of being a brain in a jar. And it occurred to her, as Vinnie jumped, the brainless bodies of her crew already digested inside her, that it wouldn't be long before the loss of the Lavinia Watley was a tale told to frighten spacers too. was our story. Hope you enjoyed. You know, I think a lot more people would have enjoyed Free Willy if the orca ate the little kid at the end. <laughs> Junior, don't be upset. When Willy ate that boy, it just cast him out into the big empty, where he'll live in the cold, dark vastness between the stars for whatever amounts to infinity in a place probably without time. It's a happy ending. And indeed it was. Well, except for everyone stripped down to their still-conscious brains and trapped in cold metal canisters for perpetual storage and trade purposes. Gotta catch them all. Don't mess with Amigo, if that much wasn't already obvious to you from Lovecraft's The Whisperer in the Darkness. I hope the Bear-Monette-Power duo continue to crank out more stories in this interesting universe. Lots of fun to bring to you in full audio production, that's for sure. But lots of work, let me tell you. If you had a good ride on the U.S. Lavinia Watley these past two weeks, consider making a donation to help support the show. Not only do we appreciate it, we rely on it to pay writers for their work, pay voice actors, license music. These are just some of the upfront costs. You can find support options smack center in the middle of our page at www.drabblecast.org. Donate once in any amount, subscribe for five bucks a month, and subscribe for ten bucks a month. All you need is a credit card or online PayPal or checking account, and you can feed the Drabblecast's gaping leviathan maw and keep it from turning on us and destroying us all. Many thanks. All right. So we have an ongoing weekly contest in our discussion forums to see who can write the best 100-character story, not counting spaces. We call these Twabbles. You can find the thread in the TwitFix section of our forums. And each week we pick a favorite story and publish it out on our Twitter feed. This week's winner, none other than Christopher Monroe, a.k.a. Christopher Monroe, a.k.a. Munzee, with this 100-character story here. It wasn't till April 2nd we realized that, yes, the aliens really had invaded. We fought back, but by then, it was too late. Geez, I hope there are no conquest-minded aliens out there listening to this right now. That's actually a really good tactical strategy. Thanks, Munzee. Thanks a lot. Folks at home, if you do Twitter, follow us at the Drabblecast for the goods. All right, folks, that's our show. Remember, it's produced with the Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License, which means don't change or sell it, but share it all you like. Indeed, do share. Tell a friend, write about us, review on iTunes or wherever. Help spread the weird. Special thanks to this week's awesome episode artist, Liz Mirzieski. If you at home have got art skills and are interested in doing episode cover art for future Drabblecast stories, shoot us an email, drabblecast at yahoo.com. Let us know. Make it to the attention of Drabblecast art director Bo Kyer. He'll hit you back. 
All right. We'll see you next week, weirdos. Until then, our staff is made up of associate editor Matthew Bay, a dozen man-sized pseudo-roaches from Venus, and yours truly, Norm Sherman, reminding you that puking in your suit is the number one badness. Yes, words were all splurred when spoke. In the dark corner table sits Lance Fernandez, the boss. And as women surround him like clothing, all tussled and ready to toss. All tussled and ready to toss. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.